Thanks be to God. I found out last week that the Surgeon General has listed loneliness as one of the preeminent American health crises. In fact, uh, I was told the Surgeon General said more than 50% of Americans describe themselves as lonely and that the effect, the health effects of loneliness over time are equivalent to smoking about 15 cigarettes a day. That, that's fascinating to me, but it's not new information. We've known from the beginning of our story that it's not good for us to be alone. It is, however, significant, I think, that in our culture, this has become a uniquely challenging problem. And it's not just our medical leaders that are recognizing it. Our spiritual leaders recognize it as well. Um, Mother Teresa, before she passed, famously said that the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. This idea of our endemic loneliness is interesting for me because it seems like most of us, if you're like me, live in this dichotomy where on the one hand, we feel completely indispensable. The world as we know it would fall apart if I wasn't going 24-7 about all my tasks every day. If one thing on my to-do list didn't get done or one kid didn't make it to their sporting event, it would be the end. And at the same time, we look around our lives and we say, hey, I'm indispensable and I'm kind of irrelevant. I don't know that anybody sees me or needs me except for, you know, to drive them places. And the church is supposed to be a place where we get a different message. Uh, the, 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 the message that Paul has for the Corinthians is a profoundly different message. He says, um, you are not designed to be the whole body. You don't have to do it all. You're not expected to juggle everything perfectly, um, but you are profoundly important to the body, you are needed. I have done a lot of research about how to get people to volunteer for things, and it's hard. Uh, and one of the things that a lot of great volunteer logic says is when you are recruiting people for something, never use the word needed, because needed sounds desperate, right? We are having an event on Tuesday, and I need more people to come help, right? That sounds like things are bad. Use the language of opportunity, volunteer experts say. We have this great opportunity on Tuesday for you to be involved with the Bridge Street golfing outing, and we'd love for you to make an impact there, which is totally true. <laughs> Just slip that in there. See what I did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think… In Paul's language about the church, needed is the right word. Paul wants every member of Corinth and every member of covenant to know 
that we are profoundly needed. When I was a kid, well, we always had dogs growing up, and my first dogs were Rottweilers, and my first Rottweiler was a dog named Dame. And Dame was like all Rottweilers. She was like 100 pounds of pure muscle, unbelievably friendly to the family, very protective of the family. So when new people came to our house, we had to keep them physically separate from her, and we would have these baby gates sort of loosely laying in her doorway because she was terrified of baby gates. Um, and then this 100-pound dog would come running at you, barking and growling, and you'd think, oh, thank goodness there's a baby gate. Anyway, uh, uh, in, her, in her later life, uh, Dame actually had to have one of her legs, her back legs, amputated. And so she was a three-legged dog. Uh, and so it was very often that I would bring a friend over and I'd say, hey, you need to stay here in the living room. Let me introduce you to the dog before you walk into the kitchen. You know, it's okay, there's a baby gate. Uh, and then around the corner um, would come this dog, just the first couple of paws in this huge head growling and snarling, and they would say, oh, and then the other half would come along hopping, you know, and they'd say, oh. Dame was a a great companion and a great pet and a great defender if you were um, in our house and causing trouble and running straight away from her, you were toast. But with three legs, she could not turn a corner to save her life. Uh, So if you could just turn a corner, you could get away from her forever in our house. Uh, I come back to Dame a lot when I think of this metaphor of the church as a body with many members. Um, Dame got along fine with three legs, but boy, she needed four. She was designed for four. There were so many things she couldn't do because one of her members was missing. Uh, and, And... Boy, this idea that we need each other, um, that you are needed, that the body of Christ is incomplete without you, uh, that you are needed not because we want you to fill the pews or fill the coffers, um, but because the Spirit has gifted you. And the Spirit has gifted you in such a way that we cannot be who we're supposed to be without your gifts. Paul says it like this, I think maybe the most important verse in this chapter, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You are needed because the Spirit has gifted you. So let's unpack that a little bit for a minute. Um, Paul says, to each is given, meaning every Christian has some kind of manifestation of the Spirit. Every Christian has some kind of spiritual gift of of a a supernatural quality. Uh, Now, we quickly go to the overtly supernatural gifts when we read these passages. And by overtly supernatural, I mean um, we often call them the charismatic gifts. By the way, as a quick aside, um, when I go to a Mexican restaurant and they have queso cheese there, I am always, always slightly annoyed because queso means cheese. So queso cheese is like cheese cheese, right? Uh, Charismatic gifts, the word charisma is Greek for gift. So a charismatic gift is a gifty gift. Anyway, uh, when we talk about the charismatic gifts of prophecy or healing or speaking in tongues, boy, those kind of grab our imaginations immediately. Um, But I think Paul 
includes those in a larger category of spiritual gifts that are profoundly important for the body of Christ. It's probably significant to mention that just as in the ancient world, the question of spiritual gifts designed to bring us unity actually brought division as people argued about what were the best spiritual gifts to have, so too today the spiritual gifts designed to bring unity bring division because we argue and debate about particularly these charismatic gifts, okay? And, and so just uh, briefly, let me lay out the, the two sides, and then I won't pick one, okay? So, um, one side of the debate today is um, what is often called the cessationist view, the idea that the, the charismatic gifts, the overtly supernatural gifts of the Spirit, ceased after the time of the apostles. Uh, this is often held in people, by people in the Reformed tradition, of which Presbyterians are a part. Not that those things couldn't happen anymore, but that we don't ordinarily see them happening, that they were primarily designed for the time of the apostles. The other side of the church is the Pentecostal and the charismatic churches today that say, hey, we see these things happening all the time in our churches. We regularly have people speaking in tongues or doing prophecy or doing acts of healing. Uh, and, and there are some in that tradition who would argue that perhaps you can't truly be a Christian if you have not experienced the charismatic gifts or being baptized in the Spirit. Uh, I have an opinion. I lied. I will tell you my opinion. Um, my, my opinion is uh, that there is no reason to believe the gifts have ceased, um, but that God has always given them out. Uh, at times and places it seemed right to Him, we don't get to be in charge of that process. Um, but I think both of those positions, the cessationists uh, and the continualists, if you will, miss the main idea. The main idea of this passage is that God has designed the church as an interdependent family where we cannot make it without each other. Paul's key message is that we are one body activated by one Spirit who gives diverse gifts to the people of God so that only together as a body can we have all that we need. So Paul lists all these gifts. He talks about wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing, and miracles, and prophecy, and discernment of spirits, and speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues, and assistance, and leadership. And in all of those, uh, I think Craig Blomberg says it best. He says, God may use and cultivate innate abilities or give people brand new capacities. It is entirely up to Him. As we think about the gifts we've been given, um, some of them are, again, as Craig says, more inherently supernatural, the tongues, the interpretation, the healing, the miracles. Some appear to be granting individuals an extra measure of some virtue that all Christians are supposed to have to some degree or another, the gifts of wisdom or knowledge or faith or helping or giving or service or exhortation or ministry. Still, other spiritual gifts are tied with leadership roles in the church, apostles, teachers, administrators, and some may cut across multiple categories. In all of those, it is so tempting for us to say, wow, I don't have the gift of healing sick people, so I don't have a spiritual gift. 
To that, Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? God has designed us to need all of our gifts together and to need each other to be complete. It's also very common, I think, for people to say, boy, Jim, um, I know the Bible talks about a lot of spiritual gifts. There's things like administration, and there's things like kindness, but I'm not sure I have a spiritual gift, to which I believe Paul would say the same Spirit that enabled Elijah to stop the rain and Peter to walk on water who inspired the authors of the Holy Scriptures and every apostle and prophet that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. How could you not manifest the presence of God in your life? So the question for us is how has the Spirit gifted you? How has the Spirit gifted you? We're going to come back to the how in just a second, but i got to answer the why first, because Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the common good. This is so incredibly important. Before you can figure out how God is gifting you, you must know why He is gifting you. God is gifting you for the common good because you are needed in the body of Christ to allow us to be the people and the kingdom that God has always designed for the world to be. You are needed and your gifts are for serving others. I've known a lot of people uh, and had a lot of family members that have struggled with clinical depression And therefore, I know there are a lot of really helpful treatments for that kind of loneliness. I think depression is kind of a profound experience of loneliness. I know that counseling is really effective, and I know that medication can be really effective, but I know so can making gratitude lists, and so can, you know, physical exercise. There's a lot of things that help a lot in the process of dealing with that sense of loneliness. One of the most significant helps is serving. I can't tell you how often I have talked to somebody who struggles with mental health or particularly depression who has said, wow, the thing that was most impactful for me was when I went to visit somebody in the hospital and tell them that Christ loved them and sit and pray and talk with them because it completely lifted my eyes up from myself to them. And in that moment, I felt like I had a purpose. This is profoundly what we are called to do with the gifts God has given us. A talent or ability only becomes a charisma, a gift, when used for the common good of the people of God. There are a number of ways that we can figure out what our talents are. Uh, We actually have a spiritual… I'm sorry, nope, that's not the right word, where we can figure out what our gifts are. Um, We we have a spiritual gift assessment that is a a wildly imperfect tool, but a good tool nonetheless uh, to help us think about perhaps what our gifts might be. It's available on our website. We'll email it to you this week. Um, But I think maybe even more than assessments that help us think about what our gifts are, Perhaps the best way we discover the gifts that God has placed in our life is through the practice of ministry. It's through doing things that we begin to recognize 
how God has gifted us. So I come back to Bezalel. Uh, Bezalel is not a figure who shows up a lot in Scripture. He's a craftsman. Apparently, he's good at a lot of things. He can work with wood. He can work with cloth. He can work with jewels. He can work with metal. All we know about Bezalel is that he was a slave until about three to six months ago. Uh, He escaped Egypt along with all the other slaves thanks to God and Moses as God's servant. And he, along with all the other Israelites, came to Mount Sinai and made his profession of faith and um, received the covenant. And I think we have to assume that Bezalel, before he escaped Egypt, was doing some kind of craftsmanship work. That this is not out of the blue that God picks him, but God instead says, hey, here's this guy who has some gifts. He's been using them in service of the community. As you have wandered through the desert these last three months, it's been Bezalel you've gone to to fix your broken wagon axles. It's been Bezalel you've gone to um, when you needed to mend a spear or a sword. And so, um, I'm going to give him who's been using his talents a gift above and beyond his talent to equip him to do what he could not have done without me, but what he has been working at all this time. I love this idea that we discover our gifting in the practice of ministry. I came across a video from Right Now Media that captures this really powerfully, and it is the story of a guy named David who moves to a new town, is lost in a giant church, and trying to figure out what God's called him to do and to be. Can you play that video for me? So I'm from a small East Texas town. However, when I moved to the city, it was a lot different. It was difficult for me to plug into a church. I sat in the balcony, though, uh, by myself. And at the time, I thought that's how a church should be. I, I even skipped out worship, and I just heard the pastor preach a sermon. I would go home and, and again, do the same thing the following week, really not having any sense of community, not really having that, that purpose. I grew frustrated because I, I knew that I, I had potential. I knew that um, I could grow closer to God by serving Him. However, I wanted to and I was eager to, but I just didn't know how or where. And as time went on, that's, that's when a, a friend of mine invited me to downtown Dallas to pass out waters to the homeless. And slowly but surely, I fell in love with this ministry. My friends and I made a commitment that we were going to be out here every single Sunday uh, and also on Wednesdays to try to evangelize. And one of my friends said, hey, why don't we just start a church with the homeless? Why don't we take the church to them? Shortly after, um, a couple of Sundays after that, we came out here and uh, it was really just me and two people. And we kept growing and we just kept persisting and kept going and going. We saw God's hand in it. So we had all the elements we needed and all, all we needed to do was just commit and just be there and be present in downtown. It gave me inspiration to know that people actually cared about us out here. This church has been a refuge for a year and a half of me. It's, it's, it's been a home. It's been a, something I needed. Something I get up every Sunday and attend. They help the people more. They, they uh, uh, give clothes, food. I, I've even gotten uh, work 
I know that God is with us. I know that the Holy Spirit is still moving out here in West End, one of the darkest parts of our city. And it just fills me with so much joy and, and so much love for God to know that I have in some way or some fashion helped somebody fall more in love with Christ. And, and I've seen that I can now feel closer to God because I'm living out the purpose he created me to live. I love David's story because uh, I would assume that if I asked you to raise your hand, if you felt comfortable starting a church in downtown Wausau for the homeless, I wouldn't get a lot of hands that got raised. But if I asked you to raise your hand, if you felt comfortable passing out water on the street, boy, I bet a lot of us can do that. And it's in the process of doing ministry that we begin to discover how God has gifted us. And there's a danger here. The danger is saying, hey, I don't have that gift. I don't have that gift. Yeah, I know maybe I need to do pass out water to the homeless, or maybe I need to be involved in teaching Sunday school to kids, or maybe I need to be involved in, but I don't have that gift. And I think Paul would say, maybe you don't have it yet but maybe you are needed. And having the gift doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Having the gift only means you are the one we've been waiting on to do the thing that needs to be done. Maybe you're the one we've been waiting on. Maybe you're the one the church so desperately needs to advance the kingdom of God in a way that we have not yet done. There is a a deeply destructive false message of our age that has seeped into the church. It's the idea that specialists and professionals make the world go round. And I would say to you that the message of the gospel is that amateurs make the world go round. Professionals do things for profit. Amateurs, amos, amor, do things for love, right? And, And God has called us to be not specialists and professionals in kingdom ministry, but to be amateurs, to be people motivated by love, trusting that somehow we may, equipped by God, make an eternal impact. And if you're not sure that you could do that, then just think for a moment about the people that have made an eternal impact for you. I bet some of them, maybe some of them were pastors. I bet some of them were parents. I bet some of them were friends. I bet some of them were Sunday school teachers or youth leaders or coaches or an acquaintance in college with whom you had a critical conversation or someone who brought food to your house when someone you loved died. And if you're honest, if you think back over your life about all those people that made an eternal difference in your spiritual journey, um, you might begin to say, hey, who would I be if they didn't show up? Who would I be without them? You needed every one of them, and you are needed. You are needed for the kingdom of God, because to each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. A three-legged dog can get around, but think about what a four-legged dog can accomplish What God has given you is essential to the work of His kingdom. You are gifted. You are needed. How will you answer the call? Thanks be to Him. Amen.